Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. All right, so I'm going to read you Colossians chapter 3 in verse 12. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So in this passage, Paul, he he has just told previous to this verse, he's just told the Colossian church to put to death some sinful things and put on these, these things that I just read you. It describes the transformation that happens in Christians from who we used to be to who we are now in Christ. The transformation that continues throughout our walk with Jesus. And part of that is, like we read, that we put on compassionate hearts, uh, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But today, we're going to focus on the idea of being compassionate people. So, how do we get there? How do we become the kind of people who care? Um, Sometimes we feel very little or, or are skeptical about people when we know uh, God calls us, though, to be compassionate, and, and that's in our nature, unfortunately, but God calls us to be compassionate. So, uh, the first thing is that we develop compassion by seeing. Um, there's a glaring link in the Gospels between the idea of compassion and the idea of what you physically see. In, in Luke chapter 15, we jump right into the middle of the story of the parable and, of the prodigal son, We know that the son has left the father, he's taken his inheritance early, and he's wasted it all, right, with prodigal or wasteful living. So we'll read Luke chapter 15 in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring that fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So in verse 20 of of this chapter, it says his father saw him and felt compassion. But think about exactly what it was that he saw. He saw his son in ragged clothes because he said, "Bring, bring a robe out here and put that robe on my boy. He sees a son that might not have had any shoes on his feet. And he says, bring out some sandals and and put them on my son's feet. He sees a son maybe who was skinny because he hadn't eaten enough in this famine that they talk about. And, And he says, go kill that fat calf and feed my son. So this is portraying God, right? And he sees a wreck of a man. Uh, and, and his heart goes out to him. He says, we don't need to talk about you being a servant right now. This is not the time for a lecture. We need to get you some food and some clothes. And he felt compassion for him. There's a connection between what we see and what we feel 
And that's what's going on here in the story. Have you ever seen those infomercials uh, on TV that that with starving African children? Or my favorite is the Sarah McLaughlin commercials with the starving animals or dogs, I guess. That you know, and they play the her, her songs in the background. And there's all this mistreated whatever people or animals or whatever it is on TV. Do they just tell us about it? Or, or, or do, they, do they tell us about the mistreatment or do they actually show us videos of the heartbreaking moments, right? And I'm not pointing out anything about the commercials being having sinister motives or anything uh, in, the, in the nature of the commercials, but that these people who make commercials, they know the connection, right? They know that our sight triggers something in us because that's how we're wired. When we see suffering, it makes us want to do something. If we're, if we're going to develop compassion, part of this is going to be very literal in that we need to be willing to actually look at other people, okay? Um, have you ever had the experience, Dad was telling me about something last week, where someone comes begging to, begging to you for money. They show up at, in the Walmart parking lot and come begging to you for money. And you don't really want to make eye contact with them. You don't want to look at them because you know that if you see something, you might be drawn into something. Um, you, you don't know if they're being sincere or if they're just looking for the next drug fix. So we change the channel from the Sarah McLaughlin commercial or, or we turn the other way from the beggar. But scripture shows us that if we're going to develop compassion, seeing it has to be a part of, of that development. Okay. So let's complicate it even further here. Um, and, and we're going to read a parable of Jesus that shows us that seeing is not everything. Luke chapter 10 and verse 29 says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So all three of them see see this guy, but the first two have an aversion to the beaten man. They see him and they pass by on the other side. This is the equivalent of what we just described in the infomercials. I'm going to pretend he's not there. But then there's this Samaritan who came by to where where the beaten man was, and, and when he saw him, he had compassion after he saw him. Seeing leads to compassion. And there will always be this temptation to avert our eyes because when we avert our when we avert the eyes, we can steer our heart in another direction. We don't have to care if we're not going to look. Yet if we want to develop compassion, we're going to have to be willing to see people for what they really are. But seeing is not all there is. If we're going to develop compassion, we need to think about people. We need to we need to think a little bit deeper about the situation that we're observing. Luke chapter 7 uh, starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and, he, and said to her, Do not weep. 
Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. So Jesus comes into the town, and he encounters a funeral procession. This mother here in the story, she is already a widow, and now she's lost her only son. It says that Jesus, when he saw her, had compassion on her. But why? We have to ask. Jesus had been to other funerals. Jesus had seen people cry. But think about it. A widow who has now lost her only son, after losing her husband, she is completely alone. If you read in 1 Timothy 5, he designates certain widows, and he says that she is truly a widow without children or grandchildren. Okay, Who's going to take care of her? Can, can we even imagine what that would feel like? Can, um, to, 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 we, we, we will do this. We'll say, uh, she's a widow, right? And, and to us, that's just many times, that's just a word. But do we really think about it and what that means for someone to live a long time? Sometimes maybe their whole life with someone and then they lose them. Do we really think about what the, that loneliness that that entails? Do we really think about day after day of waking up uh, and maybe expecting your loved one is there next to you and then remembering that they're not, that they're gone? Do we really think about what it feels like when those condolence cards and phone calls and the noticing stops and everybody just seems to go on with life, but the widow doesn't go on? She doesn't go on with her life because her life has been changed forever. Do we think about what it's like for a widow to sit down maybe for the first time in her life and pay bills to try and figure out the finances that her husband had? Do we realize that it do we realize what it what it feels like to be invited somewhere and think you're not really sure if you should go because you're not a couple anymore? Well, Jesus looks at this woman and he does not just see a woman. He sees a woman and he is touched by it because he knows the suffering, the full depth and the full breadth of what she is, is experiencing what she and what she has experienced in that moment. And, and that makes Jesus care. Jesus sees and thinks about them and he knows they are more than just categories. Um, people are more than just descriptors. People are real people who are really suffering and have real pain. He says, if I were in their shoes, I would be in extreme pain. Jesus' heart goes out to them as he thinks about what he's seen. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. In pity, in compassion, he touched their eyes. Think about what it would be like for a minute to be blind. Just Let's just think about it. Can you hear the desperation in the cry of these men? The crowd says, shut it, guys. You know, And they just scream louder because they're desperate. 
We want to see, they say. Can you imagine what it's like to wake up every day knowing that you're probably going to feel left out of conversations? There are things going on all the time that you don't see. Uh, can you imagine what it's like to, to miss out on so much of the beauty that we live in? Everybody talks about it, but you don't get to be a part of it, of it because you don't see. Aesthetic beauty means nothing to you. Through no choice of your own, you're trapped in this blindness, and it becomes the great defining factor of your life. But Jesus sees and thinks about, about these things, and, and he has compassion and, and pity for them. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 reads, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest send out, to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus had compassion for the crowds because they were harassed. They were helpless. This is a group of people who were trying to serve God, but they were clueless and they were helpless, it says. These people whose greatest, probably whose greatest religious heroes were the Pharisees who were just making a mockery of religion uh, in their day, and Jesus felt sorry for them. He saw these people who would who would wonder and be out for, for days just looking for any teacher. He thought about these people who were so confused about the nature of the kingdom that they were at, ready at the drop of a hat to pick up a sword. And he felt sorry for them. Jesus looks at these people and he says, they need help. He turns to his disciples and he says, he says, you pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest so that all the people who need help can get help. Jesus is concerned and fills something for these people. Jesus teaches us to think more deeply about people. There are wounds and difficulties and hardships that are not on the surface, and, and we can easily turn, to, turn a blind eye. We can, we can say, they're divorced, but do we know what's behind that? They're a widow, but do we know what's behind that? He has cancer. But do we know what's behind that? Do we know the full depth and breadth of what people are experiencing beneath that surface? When we see and when we think, it will lead us more toward compassion. The next thing in developing compassion is that the scriptures, the scriptures teach us to feel. In the New Testament, compassion is a feeling and not simply just an action. It's a feeling that prompts action. The word describes it as, as something that is felt deep within the heart, but really it specifically is saying within the bowels. That's what it means. So especially for us men, especially for us men, it is important to give ourselves permission to feel. It is okay to feel things. As we'll read, God expects us to feel. Uh, in John chapter 11 here, Jesus comes to the place where Lazarus has died, and, and Mary and Martha, they're both a little ticked off at Jesus. They wanted Jesus to have come and, and healed Lazarus before he died, and now he's too late. But Jesus delayed on purpose because he wanted to do something special with this situation. So listen to how Jesus acts. John chapter 11, verse 31. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, 
When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. So it says he was deeply moved again. He's upset because when Jesus saw Mary weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. It affected him to see people mourn. These are people he knew. These are people he cared about. To see them at the grave of their brother, feeling this sense of finality and this sense of the terribleness of death. It affected them, and because he cared about them, it affected him too. In verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. He wept because he saw others grieving, even when he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that all the grief was going to end, but he still took the time to weep with them because he was affected by it too. When we, when we are faced, we as, we as not Jesus humans, when we're faced with tough situations where people are suffering, we wish we could help and make it better for them quickly. I know I do, but we can't. But what's amazing for this story is that Jesus could. He could do something. He could do something to help, and he still took the time to talk and to weep with them. He could, have, he could have fixed the whole thing at the beginning of this whole story, and, but he still took the time with them because he was willing to feel. And we have a temptation not to feel in this ever, ever devolving world where to feel too often leads to betrayal or it might lead to hurt. Feeling things is really inconvenient and it doesn't feel very productive, especially for us men, I think. We want to be productive. <laughs> if there's a problem, we solve the problem, you know, but feelings are not important in the equation. But this can lead to us to close up our heart to people in a way that the Bible actually condemns. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So this is a feeling issue. You close up your heart to your brother in need. John doesn't say shame on you if if your brother's in need and you don't help him. He says if you close up your heart, if you unplug your feelings. When we unplug our feelings... We're probably not going to do anything because we don't feel compelled to do it. John's, John is saying, how can you love like God when you don't feel anything? Compassion prompts this kind of love into actions, which brings us here to this last point that I'm going to make. Godly compassion means we have to act. Compassion fuels activity. First John three eighteen that we just read. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Real love is not words. Real love is actions. Real love does stuff. Real love takes care of things. Real love and real compassion is 
uh, like we read, when the father sees his son and then fixes the problem in the story of the prodigal son. Real compassion is when the good Samaritan stops and takes this man and puts him on his own animal and walks beside him. He bandages him, his bandages his wounds and, and takes him to the inn and, and gives money to the innkeeper to take care of the man. Uh, that's compassion in action. Compassion is what Jesus has, and then he acts and he heals the blind men. Jesus heals the leper when he feels pity for them, for, 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 the, for the leper. Uh, Jesus raises the widow's son from the dead when he feels compassion for her. Jesus cares about the people crying outside the tomb of Lazarus. He, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus acts. Action is a part of compassion. And if we're going to develop compassion, then we have to reach a point where we actually do something, where we actually do meet the need. Um, Let's read what Titus has to say here about compassion in our Christian service. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. They are eager and zealous to do good works and to act. Titus 3, chapter, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, the, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Uh, chapter 3, verse 14 of Titus, and, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We can't say it enough, right? Do good works. That's what he's saying. Be ready to meet cases of urgent need. Be ready to act because people are going to need your help. And that is God's vision for his people. It's an announcement of that an army of Christians will go out and help the hurting. That's what God wants from us. We need to see and think and feel so that it will prompt action in the direction of God's will. So seeing and, and thinking and feeling can be done without doing too much. But action is hard. Action takes our time. It's time that we've set aside for ourselves. It takes our money. It's money that we've set aside for ourselves. It takes much effort, effort that we had dedicated to other things. Compassion means that we get out of our comfort zones and, and asking people what we can do or maybe just doing it without asking. Mom's a good one. It's going to be a challenge for us because this is this is where we actually have to do something with with all that we've been seeing and thinking and feeling. So um, the popular idea these days in podcasts and, and leadership seminars is to give a step by step instruction manual on on how you can do good things uh, for people. Step by step. Here's it. Here's it. But we as church leaders can't do that for you, even if we try and fake it. Sometimes with these, these useless lists and, and, and manuals, people need more things that, than, than, than 
preachers can list in sermons. Some people are discouraged and insecure, and they need encouragement. They just need help. Some people are physically poor, or they're in need, and they need money, right? Not just encouragement. They need help. There are some people who need help managing money, and they don't need more money. Don't give them more money, right? Uh, They need help managing what they already have. Um, And that's a different kind of need. There are some people who are overworked in their responsibilities with kids or school or work, and all they need is a day off. Or maybe maybe some of, some of just our time to help with their responsibilities. Some people are lost in sin, and they need a friend that they can trust to lead them to Jesus and tell them about what they found in Jesus. Some people feel excluded. And they need, they need somebody to reach out and invite them to something, like a house church, maybe. Some people are lonely, and they just need a friend, someone to talk to. Some people are deeply hurt, and the only thing that you can and probably should do for them is just to sit and, and listen to them tell you about how they've been hurt. So I can't give you a checklist of how to help and be compassionate for people. And I don't think the Bible supports checklists. Checklists don't always fit the situation you're presented with. This is about being flexible enough to meet the need of the moment. If we're seeing people and we're thinking about them and we're feeling the pain that they're in, action is going to be natural in figuring out what exactly that we need to do. There are going to be some situations where we we can't do anything and we can't solve the problem. And as men, we have a tendency to feel that if we can't solve the problem, we'll just move on to a different problem or a different person. Maybe I can solve that problem or that person. When we get into the situation where our action doesn't fix it, then we really we shortchange the other three things that, that we've been talking about, the things that we should be doing by seeing and thinking and feeling. And we should be cautious about acting this way. Listening to someone and praying with someone and encouraging someone is not nothing. Weeping with those who weep is not nothing. If we stop seeing and thinking and feeling, what have we become? When we lose the emotional part of compassion, then people just become projects that we try and fix. They become problems that we solve. Seeing and thinking and feeling should prompt our action. God wants us to be compassionate people, and these are some things that might help us think more about others in a deeper and better way. Um, And I hope that they'll help us to be the kind of compassionate people that we should be so that we can show love to others the way God has shown love to us. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.